0: The children of homesteaders may not want to homestead. I'll also say that the children of big industrial commodity farmers may not want to do that either. I used to be that guy. My children would not have come back if I had done, uh, if I had continued to do what I used to do. They just wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't want to be there.
1: It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Why would one call themselves a land steward, a steward of land? And, and I've got someone with me today that refers to himself in, in that way. And I want to welcome will harris and many of you have heard will because uh he's involved been involved with savory and we've had people from the savory institute before he's got quite a story we're going to talk about it all now and what's been happening on their operation in georgia for over six generations and he's involved and he's got family involved And uh, so somebody's calling you dad and grandpa and neighbor, and and you call yourself land steward. Plus, you probably call yourself all those other things, too. So, Will, welcome to Farm to Table Talk.
0: Well, thank you, Roger. Appreciate you having me on today. So what's a land
1: steward, S-T-E-W-A-R-D? What does that mean?
0: To to me, that's a, a person whose mission is to take care of the of the, the land, and in my case, my land. Uh, I actually uh, call myself herdsman and land steward. And her, herd is the, of course, the, the animals, and and uh, the land is the farm here that that uh, provides sustenance for them. So, if you're
1: taking care of that land. Did ever it occur to you that uh, while you might be six generations or your grandkids are six generations, that it's actually possible that six generations from now, somebody that you're kin might still be taking care of that little piece of the earth?
0: Well, I would like to think so. <clears throat> you know, my mission has been to care to it on my watch. And I've mm-hmm. done that. In my I'm 68, so my watch is more in the rearview mirror than it is ahead of me. But I've got two daughters and their spouses who are fully engaged in, uh, in helping me manage the land and the animals and the business. And then between the two of them, they've got five uh, children who are my grandchildren who are here on the farm. They are the sixth generation. And I would lo- love to think that it would stay in the family in perpetuity, but I know that's not the way it typically happens. You know, sooner or later, for one reason or another, it'll probably pass out of the family. And when it does, that's, that'll just be okay. You know, I can't manage it from the grave.
1: You know, I remember talking to somebody that was in the uh, in the UK about this kind of an issue. And that traditionally, one of the things that created those large manors back in, in England, was the tradition that no matter how many kids you got, only one of them got everything there was. And and when when they started coming to the to America, um, you know, it was harder and harder because you tried to be fair to the kids and, and split up the farms and you'd have you know kind of competing interest and that that changed things. So there's just a lot of things that make it more complicated these days.
0: it takes a, it takes a strong man to say uh I love you all, but I'm giving it to you. Uh, yeah that that takes a lot of strength, and I don't have that kind of strength. uh yeah. the uh I but I do I do understand that fair and equal are never the same thing. You know, you yeah. can divide it up fairly or you can divide it up equally, and it will not be the same.
1: Yeah, you know what? I've had conversations with people that have pointed that out before and that they've, they've had to sit down with grandma or grandpa and uh, have that discussion, and sometimes they've had a facilitator come in and say, well, let's kind of work our way through this because if we just divvy everything up about everybody we can – uh, nobody will end up with anything that's enough to keep keep them going, and uh, so those are tough conversations.
0: Yeah, that that division, family division, has caused uh, more family uh, farms and just family businesses in general to fall apart. I, I think than any other single factor.
1: You know, I want to get some of the opportunities in front of us, but one, I want to add another complexity to all this too. Is that uh, the margins are darn thin. You know, I don't know if it was ever any different than that, but um, it's hard for people to look at farming and figure on getting rich. Uh, and, and you know, maybe they just are happy to be able to make ends meet and they love living, you know, where they are and being outdoors more and so forth. But um, I'm trying to remember if there's ever been a time we felt like there were mar- margins to work with. But increasingly... It seemed like the only way way forward is scale that that um, people that might have gotten by on 160 acres not that long ago and that, that shows my age too because it, it was quite a while ago uh, now are looking for gosh they gotta have a thousand or they gotta have two thousand and and it's uh, that just makes it nearly impossible to keep these entities together for at least the way some people look at it.
0: Well, I think that farming is and has always been uh, a uh, revenue-intensive and uh, uh, low-margin business. Uh, and I think that's true now. I think it's always been that way. I think that the phenomenon you're refer- referring to probably is the fact that uh, uh Farming, so so land is a non-depreciating asset. You know, it it, it it's uh, there aren't many. You know, precious metals, precious gems, maybe art, are a non-depreciating asset. You know, they they're not. They're just. They don't go down in value appreciably. There may be some fluctuations, but they don't go down. And if, if you're in a capital-intensive business like farming and, and the asset is a non-depreciating asset like land, then all the margin goes into owning the land. Yeah. And the land uh, appreciates in value, but it's not monetizable unless you set it. I mean, it's uh, the, it's a generational view as opposed to a Quarterly review or an annual review, the way most businesses are run. Yeah. So yeah. the old adage of farmers live poor and die rich. There's there's a there's a lot lot to that.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: And one of the and one of the things I like about it is the fact that that it is a generational business. You know, I feel like everything I'm doing will go in my case almost certainly to the next generation who are very committed to it. Can't say what's going to happen after that, as we as we spoke earlier. But you know, I feel like I'm uh, uh, leaving a lifestyle to my children who want that lifestyle. Well, let's
1: let's discuss what that looks like now. So now let's go back to your farm and your now if you're in Georgia. Kind of help people position it because I've got listeners in Georgia, but I've got people all over, literally all over the world to listen to farm to table talk. But uh, say from Atlanta or somewhere else we might think of, uh, how far do you got to go to get to your part of Georgia?
0: Uh, I am the excuse me, I am the bottom left corner, almost Alabama, almost Florida, southwest Georgia. Mm, okay, Atlanta is in the... Uh, North, North, I call it North Central Georgia. Uh, it's about three hours to the airport, which is on the south end. And then it might take you another three hours to get through town. But it's about uh, three hours to the south side of the town. And we say uh, it's easy to find Atlanta in Georgia, but it's hard to find Georgia in Atlanta. Uh, Georgia has only one city, and it's Atlanta. Okay. It, Conversely, Florida has several. Several. Alabama's got four fairly equal-sized. Georgia's got one big city, and then there's the rest of us. Uh, I am in the uh, what is arguably the the uh, poorest county in the United States of America, according to Forbes magazine, based on household income. It's a very uh, sparsely populated, impoverished. Where I'm sitting right now in my office, I'm 50 miles from a Walmart. You know that's hard to do. And that's hard to do in Eastern Mississippi to be. It may be 40. Let's say 40 miles from a Walmart. Yeah, it's hard to do that. But we are.
1: So Here I'm guessing. Say, so, so, well, I'm guessing that's used to be how I always you looked at it, and you thought everybody had a Walmart somewhere near them. Right now, it seems like those places you're talking about, you come across a dollar store before you come across a Walmart.
0: But they they build they build them beside each other. It's incredible to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I,
0: I hate these dollar stores. I loathe them. They, they just pump so money out of the community.
1: Yeah. Well, one more thing in trying to position where you are. If I was going to come on down there now, where would I fly to? If Atlanta sounds like a three-hour drive or more, uh, so where would I fly if I wanted to get in and and, and see you?
0: Well, you probably go to fly to Atlanta if you want to see me because the other regional airports will let you down. But the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, Tallahassee, Florida airport is about 80 miles. The Columbus, Georgia airport is about 80 miles. Then there's an Albany, Georgia airport about 45 miles. And a Dothan, Alabama airport about 45 miles. And these are <clears throat> small regional airports with very spotty service.
1: So you know, I've flown over those that part of the world sometimes. I hate to use that term maybe that say flyover, but when you look down, it seemed to me that you'd see lots of pine trees, lots of pasture. Um, uh, and if I were just guessing, looking out a plane window, come across that part of the world, I think they ought to be filled up with livestock. It 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 just looks like it's a natural area to to be raising livestock. Is that is, is that fair to come to that conclusion?
0: Yeah, that, that is, but now if you flew over my area specifically, you would see miles and miles of corn, cotton, peanut fields, fields that are planted annually and rotationally in corn or cotton or peanuts. And, uh, <clears throat> but to your point, it is excellent, excellent uh, livestock country. Historically, it has not been livestock country, but the way you think about it, Texas or, or whoever, and there's some, there's some economic reasons for all that. But uh, it is wonderful uh, grazing country. We get, uh, we get about 52 inches of rain a year, and it doesn't come as monsoon and dry season. It comes fairly evenly through the year. Uh, we get uh, uh, no snow. Uh, we do have frost, a few, few days of frost. It's a very temperate climate. <clears throat> a really good place to raise livestock.
1: So let's get back to, to your operation right now. Describe it. Uh, like how many acres you got and what's your mix of, of crops and pasture and so forth?
0: So White Oak Pastures is uh, 3,200 contiguous acres along Highway 27. It's about four miles along the four-lane highway. <clears throat> about a mile wide, though it gets bigger and smaller and bigger and smaller. Uh, <clears throat> it's uh, all all in permanent pasture, permanent perennial pasture, <clears throat> along with the forest. We uh, it's divided up into about hundred and fifty something, thirty ish acre pasture, in the paddocks, and they they're they're, they're uh, permanently fenced. We pasture raise five red meat species: cows, hogs, sheep, goats, rabbits, and we hand butcher from here on the farm. We raise five poultry species: chickens, turkeys, geese, guineas, and ducks. Then we pasture, uh, uh, we pasture raise them. We slaughter them here on the farm. Mm-hmm. We raise uh, organic vegetables, honey, eggs and a number of other little ancillary crops. Uh, We also graze about 1,250 acres of solar arrays that we don't own, and we get paid for the vegetation management contract uh, under those uh, large solar sites, and we graze sheep on those.
1: Somebody told me that it's better to have sheep in there because goats would figure out some way to pull some wire off or jump on them or something.
0: <clears throat> My goats will tear those piles all to pieces. I can assure you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Did how many species did you say you had of poultry?
0: Chickens, turkeys, geese, guineas, and ducks. that five. Yeah. Did you say guineas? I did. You know said, what?
1: I've o- I've always wondered about guineas because you could. Uh, my my grandpa had them because he he thought they were good uh, kind of guard animals. They made they made noise when people pulled into the barnyard. They do, and you and like looking at them. But I don't know we ever ate them. And, well, you
0: should you should have they're uh, they're great. It's, uh, if you've eaten pheasant, it tastes a lot like pheasant.
1: Oh, okay. It's moist, and, dark meat. So people can actually can they purchase guinea guineas from you?
0: <clears throat> they can.
1: And you 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 fix them like you'd fix a pheasant or or chickens.
0: Yeah, huh? mm-hmm. it's my favorite poultry.
1: You know what? I'm going to have to. Can I go online and order some guineas from you? You can. You know, I'm going to have to do that because i It's kind of like one of those things that I haven't checked off a list, and I thought it's crazy. You know, as much mm-hmm. as I've been around farms and farming and, and remember them and everything. That I've never tasted guinea fowl, and I thought they had to have some reason to be.
0: They also, uh, old timer said they they uh, eat ticks to help keep the tick population down. Is that right? I was Uh, going to ask. I I I, I suspect they do. I don't I don't know. I can attest to that, but I think they probably do.
1: Yeah. Now, when you got that, just say like that mix of poultry that you that you have. Is there quite a bit of difference between their diets and what they find to get by on, and and or, or what you have to put out for them to to nibble on?
0: No, no. We uh, they basically get the same non-GMO feed. Uh, you know, as a, the young animals get a starter, and the older animals get a grower. But it's the same uh, mm-hmm. uh, between species. There's difference in age, but same between species. And now, now they uh, uh, they're all out on the pasture, and I suspect that they probably pull different uh, plant and animal uh, ingest they ingest from the pasture. You know the uh, guineas range far and wide. Mm-hmm. I think they probably get a lot of their nutrition from the pasture. The uh, chickens don't range far and wide. I think they get most of their nutrition from that feeder. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get, I'm sure they get most of their calories from the feeder. Now, they do eat bugs and plants a little long, and I'm sure they're getting some nutrition there, but the calories are coming out of that feeder. Ducks eat a lot more plants, geese, geese eat more plants,
1: etc. You know, Will, we ought to start a Guinea Council. Seems to me that we'll promote, uh, promote
0: mm-hmm. Guinea. It'd be a. a <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll donate, but I don't want to be on any more councils. I'm out of counseling business. Well, you just have to be a little bit political to do that,
1: but that, uh, that's the fourth Yeah, but uh, but okay. So but I'm I'm on my own. If I get so fond of guineas, I decide to help promoting them. I'll just do it out out of the goodness <laughs> of my heart. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm gonna let you know that part. I'll yeah, raise them, you promote them.
1: Now, let's talk about these other critters. Uh, do you want to go to the cattle, cattle or sheep or, or goats, and 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 describe you know what you're working with there.
0: <clears throat> well, cattle are more near and dear to my heart, so I will talk about them. Mm-hmm. I was a cattleman a long time. before I was a sheep man, a hog man, a goat man. So, yeah. um. <laughs> uh, And in fact, I used to run this as a monocultural cattle farm. We did not have other species. And we had a feedlot where we fed uh, uh, some pretty unnatural substances. But today, we've got uh, uh, about 1,000 female cows in our winter calving herd and about 500 cows in our summer calving herd. There's six months yin and yang from each other. We do not castrate bull calves. So uh, I got a bull herd. That's my finishing herd. Uh, I save all my own heifers and I save all my own bulls. So it's a closed herd. Has been for about 10 years. Uh, We don't feed any grain whatsoever. Uh, don't use any hormone implants. Don't use much vaccine. I went for years without using any vaccine. Oh. I lost a few calves to a disease called blackleg. So I started back using that. <clears throat> Very innocuous
1: vaccine, I probably think. Do you, you got to put uh, a salt block out or a mineral blocks out?
0: I use, uh, <clears throat> that's interesting. I use what's called a cafeteria mineral feeder. It's an old cotton wagon. Cotton wagons are obsolete, cotton hauling equipment. And it's got 24 uh 30-gallon drums cut in half on it. So 24 yeah. troughs. And we put a different element in each trough. Uh, uh-huh. So for uh, uh, phosphorus, calcium, magnesium, etc. And the cows, uh, and we service it every day, and the cows eat what they crave. And uh, I really believe in it. It's just like giving them a, 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 a mineral a mineral mix, except you let them select what they want. It's not like a one-a-day vitamin they, they, uh, they're they able. To. And there's university research from uh, New Mexico and uh, University of Florida, I think. And it says that's not cost-effective to do that. And it may not be, but I like it, and I think it is. Uh, uh, I, I noticed that the cattle will hammer one nutrient for a while. Yeah. And then they don't eat it much anymore, and they'll hammer another one.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, I think that it's because sometimes my cows are lactating. <clears throat> sometimes they're gestating. Sometimes they're breeding. They're on a different pasture every day, and the pastures are at different levels of uh, regeneration. Mm-hmm. So it just makes sense to me that the diet changes, and see why well, the minerals shouldn't change. Really.
1: You, know, you know what? I think it's interesting to bring up, to talk about like these the minerals and your, your philosophy on it, because it's usually left out. People talk about how they just, you know, ideally just grass-fed, but... Um, but it makes some sense that that having that available to to your cattle uh, is, is it's not a big deal. It's not changing a whole lot of things. It's not like you're trying to give them a whole lot of corn and other things. But uh, but that that does make sense.
0: Well, you know the everything we do here is is uh, emulation of nature. We call it yeah. biomimicry, mm-hmm. and it's very imperfect. Mm-hmm. But we do the best we can. We do better and better. I mean, if you hearken to the day before you and I were born when the the West was covered with buffalo, or it could be eland in, in the Serengeti, or it could be reindeer in the tundra, whatever it is. You know, those animals were out walking, covering vast areas yep. in a 12-month period. And it just makes sense to me that sometimes they probably were eating grass that had, uh, Overconsumed potassium. There was a lot of a lot of potassium in the leaves, and sometimes it might have been short on phosphorus and what. So you know, I, I just think that they had the ability to, uh, the, the, the wild herds had the ability to to balance their own diet to some mm-hmm. extent, whereas uh, my cattle on this 3,200 acres they're moving all the time. They going around and around and around. So, it's it's an emulation of nature, in that we're moving them, but it's a imperfect emulation, in that they're not going from uh, Canada to Mexico.
1: You know, they used to say that the cattle down in your part of the country need to have some ears or or little or humps, and and that's going to sound weird to a lot of people. But you know, you know what I'm referring to.
0: Roman influence. Yeah,
1: yeah, and do, do yours.
0: <laughs> so, yes, Nelson. the uh, that my herd stems from the herd of Crocker cattle that my great grandfather brought to this farm in 1866, and we've always saved females. And I'm told that my great grandfather and grandfather saved bulls too, just like I did, Closed herd. Mm-hmm. Somewhere along the line, I don't know if my dad started or my granddad started, but we started buying purebred bulls to improve, quote-unquote, the herd. And between my father and I, I bet you we have had at least one of every breed of bull that's ever been to Georgia, from Brahman, the boss syndicus that you talked about, to... The European breeds like uh, Charley, Simmental, uh, the uh, old English breeds like Angus and Hereford, Shorthorn, exotic breeds like Akayushi. I mean, we you know between my father and I, that flavor of the month club. Mm-hmm. Go to, go to a bull sale and say, "What kind of bull is that?" And I've never seen one. How much do you want for him? And bring those genetics back. Yeah. So what we what we did uh, is mongrelize the herd.
1: Yeah.
0: And for, for better or worse, I mean that's just what it was. I don't know if it's good or bad. That's what we did. Can't undo it. Can't can't unring that bell. But about ten years ago, in an effort to get a higher animal welfare rating, uh, I stopped castrating male cattle. I said yeah, I'm just gonna try it and I did and I liked it for several reasons one of the reasons I liked it is uh I realized I was raising better bulls and I was buying you know yeah. I was I was having uh back then probably 600, hundred seven700 bulls born on this farm every year and if I if I Needed ten new bulls. I picked the ten best ones out of those many hundreds. And uh, uh, if I bought it from a bull trader, he probably didn't have but two hundred mama cows. He wouldn't have had but a uh, uh, hundred bulls. Might well let you whatever, uh, uh, maybe hundred less than hundred bulls. He was gonna keep the best ones for himself. So, I, mean, I was getting uh, the second best out of 100 instead of the best out of several, several hundred. So, <clears throat> I've been saying it's going to close herd, and that's like building your own breed. Yeah. You take a mongrelized herd, and you save the genetics on top and bottom, bull and cow. And, uh, and then, you know, over enough generations, you've got one uh, consistent Breed the out So yeah. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to do that. I'm going to you see where it goes? That's what I'm doing right now.
1: So if we took some of that, and if there was a cattle equivalent to 23 and Me or something like that, and they would just they would have a ball coming up with uh, all that all they could find in the ancestry yeah. of your of your critters.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I bet you. Uh, I, I never thought about it quite like that, but yeah, that's that's right. If I if I did a, uh, a DNA analysis on, on my herd, it'd be uh, all over the board. I'm sure.
1: So, what do they look like now?
0: Oh, uh, you know, my my. So, I don't have the best looking herd of cows uh, in the area. Uh, I got. I think that I think they're the best herd in the area. But you, know, my cows are are coming down in stature. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are. Uh, uh, they can make a living out there on the on, on the grass, as opposed to those big, powerful, artificial inseminations bulls I was using. That they just can't eat enough grass to maintain that big old body. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, So uh, the color is uh, uh, mostly black. Because for years I used mostly Angus bulls. Not that I'm an uh, Angus snob, but I could I could drive thirty miles and see six different purebred Angus farms. And drive a long way to see six purebred Hereford farms. Sure. So, um, I, and, uh, but I got a lot of red cattle, and I do so I do uh, when I'm selecting my bulls. I will give a little preferential treatment to a red one over a black one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, I'll take a, if it's a good black one or a not good red one, i go with black one. But two equal bulls, I'll probably go with the red one. Mostly because I think that that hide color, uh, I think it's about seven degrees hotter in the summertime with a black cow. In fact, oh, I've shot him sense. with a little thermometer, a little infrared thermometer. And it's consistently a good bit hotter. You know, you don't want to be out there in the Georgia sun with a black shirt on in, in the middle of the sun.
1: So you never get any horns then.
0: No, there's some horns in there. Are uh, there? Not, not many. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, I mean you know, we've had uh, we've had horned breeds. Akayushi, it was like a oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, others, you know, other breeds uh that uh, short horned way back in the um, you know some cementol uh, influence had horns. They're, 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 I don't have uh, a high incidence of horns, and I will uh, select polled over horned, all other things being equal.
1: Sure. And I assume they're they're pretty easy cabin.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. 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 As you as you get away from those big powerful freaks of nature that we all fight for uh, most most of your cabin problems go away
1: yeah we, you know we got to connect to some people that end up eating beef now and let's well before we go through in as much detail on all these other species that aren't your first love but let's talk about uh meat then that comes from this process so you've got these breeds you've arrived at the genetics this way you've described the pasture you've got and you and you're raising these how long uh before these calves you raise are getting to a weight that you can process and have the meat to sell
0: about two years Mm. we uh, uh we don't we no longer keep up with individual birth dates. I sure. used to. We've got so many now, I can't do that. Uh, out of any, any herd of cattle, I know when the first one was born and the last one was born.
1: Yeah, sure. We well, got a lot of them.
0: I know that, that three or four month range, I know where they fall in that three or four months.
1: So you can tell just by looking at them if they're ready then. Well,
0: not. we weigh them. We weigh them. I mean, I.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. And, I, and, I, and, I and, and so what's the live weight?
0: Uh, we that uh, of course the bigger the better to be sure, sure. but uh, typically about 1100 pounds
1: yeah that's it's pretty good, good size
0: yeah it is it's uh it's hard to get them it's hard to get them onto eleven, twelve hundred 1200 pounds on grass in two years
1: so you got to turn those animals into meat uh what's your processing capability
0: uh we slaughter about uh uh Twenty to twenty-five head of cows per day. Mm. We can we can slaughter thirty, but that's too many. It's just too much pressure on everybody. Now, are, are you wait, 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 it, it, wait, Let me, I, I, I can finish answering the question. We slaughter about fifty hogs a day. Uh huh. Or, or we slaughter about fifty sheep or goat per day. Not not. So it's see the you see the cow day or a hog day or a sheep day or a goat day.
1: Same facility yes Uh uh-huh yeah i would um now that's some difference it gives your gives your workers a break to have to be used doing the same all the time plus lugging around those uh the the chunks of beef are a lot heavier than the chicken so maybe they, they they get a couple a little time to rest up
0: where the chickens are in a separate facility. Oh, okay.
1: You know, okay.
0: Uh, All right. And, the, and, and the, I'm glad we kill chickens, turkeys, geese, guineas, and ducks. But it's, again, it's one, 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 either one species or the other each day.
1: You know, bring up a touchy subject, but uh, but uh, when you process them, uh, I noticed earlier you were talking about you, you allowed these, the cattle, the males to become bulls and and you mentioned the animal welfare standards and so forth are there standards that apply to the to the processing too um you know when because we have a floor where you know actually you have to have to help them into well you're you're processing cattle so the cattle are killed and then they're and then they're processed is are there standards that you try that you have to follow in the processing because you you are complying with with uh, the welfare guidance,
0: uh, absolutely, and uh, of course, us we are both of my facilities, red meat and poultry, are USDA inspected. So mm-hmm. there is a USDA inspector there from seven thirty to four thirty Monday through Friday. Oh, okay, and uh, part of it, part of his or her job is the humane maintain a humane slaughter. Mm-hmm.
1: So when you get these these products and you break them into you then you're getting all the way down to things that can be uh, different you know steaks and rounds and ground beef and so forth. Now do you sell do you sell any of it fresh or is it all frozen
0: uh, <clears throat> it, uh well, the grocery component is all fresh oh, okay. The uh, online and and, uh, the food service. I don't have much, but the food service is fresh. The uh, online sales are frozen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the the fastest growing part of my business.
1: The frozen online? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I'm already going to figure out if I can get some guinea from you just because I've never had any. But that's
0: (laughs) thank you for your business.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know we've got uh, where I am. We can go to some some good grass fed producers around here. Where and are you? Where are you? Sacramento, and um, yeah, we like to pick. I like frozen, and I like frozen, especially in lamb, because some of these products are so seasonal that you really can't count on having having fresh fifty two weeks a year. And I don't have anything against buying buying frozen.
0: No, no. For frozen meat, is fine. Frozen meat had a bad reputation because for so many years, grocers would, uh, 30 minutes before they had to throw it away, they would freeze it. They they let it degrade as fresh beef, but then without letting it expire, they'd freeze it, and the, the... Consumer thought it was not good because it was frozen. It was that's not what it was. It was not good because it had lain up, uh, on on the shelf uh in the cooler for a long time. Uh, our frozen is immediately frozen. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. The, the freezing capability has gotten so much, so much better these days. And so if you ship it, so it's shipping to me, you've got to. Um, You've got a a box. Where do you what do you have dry ice or something that's uh, that that you can ship it on FedEx or whatever way to get to people?
0: It is it's a refrigerated. It's a, 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 a insulated box with dry ice in it.
1: Correct. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty expensive. Imagine getting that packaging.
0: It is. It is. Yeah. So, greater-
1: so let's just briefly touch on a couple of these other commodities. I, I've. Uh, you know, but let, me, with...
0: but, but let me let me, I, I don't, I don't, I, What I say, it's expensive than it is. It, it is. But, you know, maintaining a grocery store is really expensive. Yeah, I mean, the other the other alternative, buy a grocery store. You think I'm, about it at grocery store. You know, the the first thing a grocer does is goes to a town and buys a super expensive piece of real estate because it's location, location, location. Yeah, it's got to be a. Uh, a parking lot big enough for christmas and then yep. then they have to build a building that is a destination and the the shrink in that grocery store particularly around the edges is horrendous a lot of a lot of stuff gets thrown away mm-hmm. and a lot of labor because it's got to be stocked 12 at the time mm-hmm. and it's got to be kept cleaner in a hospital and every time the lady opens the door of the cooler, a dollar's worth of electricity falls out. And there's, I mean, there's pilferage. And, you know, there's uh, distribution is expensive no matter how you do it. Just, that's, that's the takeaway there.
1: Yeah. One of the things I think of when you talk about those differences as well is there's a, there's a large number of people that are on uh, SNAP programs, uh, Supplemental Nutrition assistant programs and some of the big chains you one you've already mentioned as high as 30 40 percent of their sales are 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 snap um and they about have to go to retail although some food stores have it but i don't suppose there's a a way for people to use snap funds are there to be able to uh, purchase your product
0: I know that my uh, my daughter, who ma- who manages our marketing, has looked into it, but I'm not sure what she found out. I, yeah. I don't. Know. I know she's she's pursued it before, and I honestly don't know whether we take them or not. I don't know that.
1: Well, it's a frontier. It's something I think that that it'll probably there there'll be some more opportunities like like that because it's um, they've figured out how to do that at, at markets now too, and and we've also. Now, we've talked uh, before here, we being on Farm to Table Talk, with people that are involved with uh, with Savory. And could you it, explain that again uh, for those that uh, may have missed some of the shows? What does it mean to be uh, a Savory hub?
0: So, uh, <clears throat> Alan Savory, if, if you don't know, is a uh, <clears throat> rancher from Zimbabwe in Africa. And uh, Alan is, I think, in his 80s. He is considered to be by many, me being one of them, to be the uh, uh, internationally accepted expert on uh, range and pasture holistic management, which is what I do. Uh, So he formed the... (laughs) Shoot. Savory Institute which is a, uh, a nonprofit that uh, promotes holistic range and, pa- range and pa- promotes and educates people in uh, holistic range and pasture management and there are a number of hubs and White Oak Pastures is one of them I don't know how many there are now but maybe 50 in the world and uh uh, we practice and teach uh, holistic range and pasture management. And we can talk a long time about what that is, but in my case, what it means is uh, manage the land with a really hard animal impact and a long recovery time. And we manage the uh, results through a process that Savory developed, Savory Institute developed. Called EOV, ecological outcome verification, and uh, I'm not I'm not uh, trained at, in that. My, I have somebody that works here that is. My job is to manage the land, and their job is to measure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, your role
1: would be to help train people. They they come to you, and they. Um, you know, see what you're doing and and have the person that's on your team explain to them how they can can get with the program. Is that it?
0: Yeah, well, first, first and foremost, I'm I'm a farmer rancher. That's what I do. Yeah. But in, in addition to that, we are a savory hub and part of that functionality is to offer that training to people. We also uh Founded a, we, White Oak Pastors, founded a nonprofit, a 501c3, called Center for Agricultural Resilience, CFAR. And we've got a a young woman uh, who's executive director, Dr. Carly Redding. And uh, this is only a year old, but she uh, organizes uh, schools or instructional sessions where people come here. To to learn. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, have an intern program that people. Well, uh, we take six interns four times a year, twenty four a year, for three months each. <clears throat> and they. Uh, uh, that's that's part of the training.
1: So, what did what happens to those folks? Do they do they get out and get a farm going of their own, or do they find another one they can get associated with? Uh, what's what's usually the path after they've gone through that?
0: That's a good question. And, uh, we hire a lot of them. Uh, I've got, uh, here we've got 180 employees. We've got, uh, six, uh, seven, seven directors, of which I am one, who manage 25 managers, who manage 150 or whatever's left, uh, employees. And of the 25 managers, a lot of them are former interns. We uh, we usually make offers to the best ones, and some of those best ones, accept the offer. some don't. The ones who don't, uh, so a, a few of them have gone on to start farms of their own in other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not not, a lot. Yeah, most of them come here with that aspiration, but when the economic reality often keeps them from pursuing that. But some yeah. have. Some have successfully done it. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them go on to uh, to other intern programs to further their education. Uh, a number of them homestead, wind up going somewhere and kind of living, uh, at least raising enough food for themselves and maybe sell a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe they take employment off the farm. Maybe they don't. But uh, it's it's all over the board. But they, they the people who come here are. Passionate, smart people that that come to learn the things that we've learned over the last twenty five years. What what
1: share of them would have been from a farm versus no farm background before they get to you?
0: It's pretty damn close to zero. Most of these mostly folks do not come off the farm. Very seldom is there somebody that came off the farm. Most of the and most of them are not kids uh, we get a lot more applications than we <clears throat> have slots and we'll occasionally take a college student or somebody right after graduation but not very often normally there's there's so many applications we can pick them and uh, we I like uh, people who have done something prior to coming here so a lot of the people we get are between I'd say, 30-ish, you know, 25, 35, maybe 40. We have one that was my age, 60-something, but most of them are that 25 to 40, 45 years old. Uh, most of them have had a career and uh, been successful enough in it they could afford to not do it anymore. You know, they. they uh,
1: right.
0: I'm not saying they made enough money to be independently wealthy, but they made enough money. They said, you know, I, I really... I'm not making enough money to do this. I'm not happy. And, uh, they are experimenting and they come here and, and many of them like it.
1: You know, well, I've seen those kind of folks before. I see them all the time actually. And, it, and, and it's like you pointed out, they've been doing something else long enough to come to the conclusion. That's not what they want to do forever. And, um, and it's, it's just amazing to me how many folks you can run into saying, well, I did this and it was pretty good, but, man, it's a rat race and I, I want to be outside. I want to do something I can feel good about. I don't mind getting my hands dirty, um, and I'm just going to take a break. And, and, and those folks go into it almost always thinking that they're not going to increase their income. Well, you know, they've got some expectations that, they may have to figure out how to get by on less than what they were used to before, but they're but they tend to be happy people. And i, I may maybe simplifying that too
0: much. Well, I can assure you that they don't come here for the pay scale. I mean, we uh, we pay our people all we can afford to, but I should tell you that uh, we, we've got a big business, 180 employees, $25 million a year volume, but it's very breakevenish business. I mean, sure. we, we got a lot of, we got a lot of asset, a lot of assets invested here. Yeah. We got some debt, and uh, you know, we a year that we uh, make our debt service and, and break even live five another year was a success story. We 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 high Yeah. yeah. But when so our people are not paid enough to incentivize them leaving something else, they left for another reason. They left because they they didn't like it. We have a very strong sense of community here. Uh, yeah. We uh, Bluffton. This little town is uh, a little over 100 people total. And I told you we got 180 employees. So while well, I uh, live here in town, I live around, around town. And the only place to buy food is my restaurant and general store. And it's 12 miles to the next place that would have a store or restaurant. Sure. So, sure. Um, and the employees get a pretty healthy discount. And and, uh, and there's no you know, there is no bar or pool hall or, or whatever else there is unless you go 12, 15 miles. So, you know, we uh, employees all of us, my family, we, we, we enjoy each other. You know, it's a very collegiate atmosphere. Yeah. So, as you say that,
1: I can just envision that there's some of those folks hope to be Will Harris themselves someday. and
0: I, I and hope they the, set their sights higher than
1: that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, in that, that they could maybe go back to another state they came from. They don't necessarily have to stay in your neck of the woods and go someplace where they can make a difference and help people along and do something they believe in and be making a contribution to another community and uh, give opportunities for other folks.
0: We say that our model here is not highly scalable. We're probably as big as we need to be. But it's highly replicatable. And it can be, it can be another one, another one, another one, another one, another one. You know, there could be one in every ag county in the country, maybe more. And, uh, and, you know, this effort here was, uh, done by a C student with bank debt. That'd be me. So it's not. It doesn't require a. Full cool,
1: bright scholar with a trust fund it's just one of the things too that strikes me about what you're doing is you you kind of create a demonstration model because uh, if you get these going in every every state and other countries and people come and see it you know there aren't as many demonstration projects as it, as it used to be land grant universities used to have a lot of things going on that the average person could go relate to it's harder and harder for them to have the funds to keep those kind of programs going unless it's you know funded by one of the one of the big agricultural companies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and and so what you're doing with the the savory programs and people coming to you and then going off and getting their own deal going um is 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 filling a void that didn't used to be a void um I don't know if I'm saying that quite right but um but it takes something like your program, it seems to me, to kind of step up and and be there.
0: Well, it's uh, it, it is uh, again highly replicated. It can be done over and over and over. And it's not rocket science. I mean, it's not certainly not. You know, you got you got to know some stuff, but it does not. Uh, it, it's uh, uh, a lot of people can do this.
1: Well, you know what? I'm still struck by something you said about maybe not only every state in the country, maybe every county, if you could have one, somebody doing the kind of thing you're doing. Now, not all of them are going to inherit a farm. And I've heard you say before that you uh, you you recognize that. You've had the good fortune of your your ancestors, and you, you've got a core base that was inherited. And a lot of these people you're talking about didn't inherit a farm. Uh, and yet, on the other hand, Will, I've seen people that are involved uh, similarly that are finding people, they can find land they can get on, especially grazing land. And you mentioned, too, you've got solar panels and there's people putting sheep out on solar panels and I don't know, some a huge number of, I mean, you look at this solar panels, there's going to be a million acres or some crazy number like that that's across the whole country. And that's... Pretty amazing. People can get in and maybe not have inherited land and still get a program going because they're they're putting these kind of deals together.
0: Well, as we said, it is a capital intensive business, and and I could not have done what we've done here had I not inherited a nice, paid for farm. So is that? I mean, I, I'm I am not a self made man. You know, I, I took a uh, nice asset that I inherited and I leveraged the hell out of it and blew it up into something bigger than it was. And, you know, the fact that you can't start a business with nothing is not limited to farming. You know, if uh, if you grew up in a city and you just really wanted to have a big movie theater to show movies, Right. I mean, nobody's gonna say, you know, you won't do so bad, I'm gonna just let you have this one. It's, it doesn't work like that. There's got no. to be skin in the game. You gotta have some assets. So you gotta earn them, inherit them, or steal them, or come up with them somehow. Yeah. And then and then leverage it and leverage it and leverage it to 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 the the path that you have chosen. Uh, <laughs> You raise a good point. The solar opportunity is is great. That's just now getting started. And it's uh, the most expensive, most costly asset that a farmer has is his land. And if you can uh, uh, graze under somebody else's panels on somebody else's land and get paid for it, uh, that's a good starting point. It it, it will make you rich, but it will get you started farming.
1: Sure. You know, on the other end of the food chain, I think of is the, from a startup standpoint, are people that are doing uh, pop ups, or people that came from another country and bring their uh, their you know ethnic recipes and so forth, and can get food trucks going and pop ups going, and and you look at these cottage industries that are showing up at farmers markets now I've, I've got several things in my refrigerator picked up from somebody that just got things going in their own kitchen and um and so you know those are the kinds of things i think one can get encouraged about and uh, it's not easy to for somebody to decide i want to be will harris when i when i grow up but uh and, and you said they back. should set their standards higher, but I'm going to yeah, push back
0: on that. that's a proper aspiration. I think he'd probably do a hell of a lot better.
1: <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you, I listened to you on the Joe Rogan show, and it, it was a long, it, it went longer than we're going to go today. We're not going to go that much longer. But it, you had to be on with him, was it a couple hours or something like that? Maybe,
0: maybe, maybe a little more than that,
1: yeah. Yeah, Rogan that was sure. a, that was a long talk. I'd need a break in between there somewhere, but that's uh, that, that, that's that's tough. So when you go to the Joe Rogan show, I would they got a mixed audience of he's got some crazy number, a couple million people that listen to his podcast. I I'm gonna confess I don't have a couple million people. I'm happy with the people I got, and we got people listening to us today. But when you were like on uh, on Rogan, did you have to pitch him, or did somebody chase you down from the Joe Rogan show and say, "Would you like to be on, be a guest?"
0: Like I got uh, uh, closer to be than a, but n- neither one. So what happened was, uh, I was invited to be on a news segment on Fox News, a guy named Stuart Varney, I think, and uh, uh, and he asked me, my daughter, it, most of the correspondence, so he, he emailed her, or me, mm-hmm. or somebody from Fox News, and the, and we always happen to be on these things because we don't have any, we don't have any advertising dollars. So right. know, when I things like you and I do today are the only advertising I got. Yeah, zero, yeah. zero, zero for anything. So anyway. Yeah. This uh, Stuart Varney, somebody asked me to be on to my daughter through an email and said that uh, the 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 deal was I still got the email somewhere. It said uh, uh, take it's a five minute segment to talk about why I have a problem with Bill Gates owning farmland. Been, my daughter had done a social media release about how I feel about that. And, and I'm not a Bill Gates basher, I just, but I do have opinions about that. So, uh, and I, I'm guilty. I, I, I do not watch Fox News. I've never seen Fox News. I should have. I should have done my due diligence, but I didn't. What I did is I sat down and wrote up about four-minute notes on why I thought technocrats like Bill Gates should not own a lot of farmland. And... <clears throat> When I uh, was like on the show, Stuart Barney asked the question just like him. and I started telling him. He said, "But why? Why?" And I was telling him why. And I, I'd have pinched his head off. I could have got to him, but he, he, uh, he, he whipped my ass pretty good, and uh, hmm. you know, not much I could do about it. But I did the best I could, and it was not pretty, and I was not proud of it. But uh, Joe Rogan saw that or maybe one of his people, but somebody saw that Fox news segment where I got my butt kicked and, uh, Joe Rogan himself emailed my daughter and said, I'd like to have your dad on my show. So, and I did not know who Joe Rogan was at the time. And, uh, but she accepted, she did. So she accepted off the bat and then told me what I had to do. And, uh, uh, I I I did. Uh, I had to go to Austin to be on it, and I, on the way out to Austin, I listened to some of the segments, and it was a lot better for me. You know, for, you know, I'm, I'm profoundly Southern, and I, you know, I don't. I'm not going to shoot it to you. You know, sound bite. So right. anyway, it was a much better experience. And he is a. Uh, I predict that he will be on the top of his game for a long, long time because he's very good at what he does.
1: He's curious. And uh, I, I like him too. It took me a while to find him, but what I I you know I, the reason I like doing these podcasts is I'm curious. I've been I've been asking you the things I'm asking you, not just because I'm trying to get uh, two million people listening to the podcast, is because I I really care about what you're doing. And you get the feeling in talking to him that he's just got so much curiosity. He gets some criticism because he he's not afraid of putting things on the table that are controversial uh but he's but again i think it's very thorough comprehensive so they did they do fly you out you went out to austin right put you I up drove, somewhere no, i
0: mean I, I i i drove uh in, in uh, uh no i mean i i, I paid my own expenses uh, but uh uh
1: well, now that's kind of tight. They make so much money, they should have paid your expenses. If I flew you I out didn't, to Sacramento. Well, I, didn't, I,
0: didn't, I mean, I didn't ask them, they might I just, I was pleased. You know, if your pool pit is in Bluffton, Georgia with 106, eight people, yeah. and you get invited to tell what you're passionate about to millions of people, mm-hmm. I damn sure want we'll to go a little gassed when you in Austin. Shit, I'd have walked out there if I had to.
1: So kind of, I'm a little jealous of Joe Rogan here because I would have liked to have had you fly out to Sacramento and and uh, take you to some of our little farm to table restaurants and see some of our our folks and have be able to talk to you face to face. But this is pretty good. We're covering uh, we're covering a lot of ground.
0: Yeah, you come see me. I can show you the farm. That'd be better.
1: <laughs> I want to. And in fact, do you have do you have a places to stay on the farm
0: we do we got uh we got about eight or ten uh cabins that people come and stay in. and i think the occupancy is high they say we, we, we they stay pretty full we yeah. built a, i built a uh, rv park with 24 parking spots in it uh, a couple of years ago we got a restaurant that serves 21 meals a week we got a general store that was built in 1840 something. Yeah. Um, we got a, an old church. It's the event center where we have our educational meetings. And this, I'm, I'm talking to you now from the old one room courthouse. This, I'm sitting on the judge's bench. <laughs> the, a, what is this about? Uh, yeah. It's about 20 by 20, 20, 20 by 25. One room. They added the bathroom room at some point. But it—I'm uh, 68, and it's always been the courthouse, and always looked like a courthouse. But it's uh, never had court during my lifetime. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. so, so what your so your cabins? Uh, somebody come and check in. They they often stay a few days or stay a week.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually a night or a week, and and it's, it's both. Most of the people <clears throat> that come here are either. Foodies or farmies, that's what my daughter says. They're people that really are into food and you come on, come see how it's done this way, or well, they're really into farming. Maybe they maybe they want a farm, maybe they were raised on a farm, maybe they just want whatever. But they uh uh but, but I you, we have we I'm I'm not uh, Huge people person. I mean, I, I i chose farming, not politics or sales. But uh, we have the nicest people that come here. I mean, they yeah. they, they come here on a sort of a mission and they're glad to be here and we're glad to have them here. It's just very nice.
1: Did, did any of them feel like they got to do a little work? Like they'd feel yeah. better if they go out and help you move fences around or anything?
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's, that may be the most common. Uh, requested thing and, and what I tell them is you know you can go anywhere you want to go and look at anything you want to look at but I can't let you work here you know we got workers comp and I got insurance and I got a safety lady and you know we and and, and this is a lot you know this is a lot you can get hurt here I mean it, it it's it's uh so you can't work here. If you want to work here, you can come on the intern programme, stay three months, we'll put you on the payroll, and then you can work. But
1: yeah.
0: You yeah. can you can go and look anywhere you want to. So and our, go to- our employees are nice people. You can talk to they'll they, they you know, they'll stand in and talk to you and tell you what to do.
1: So you still have to kinda of watch if they go wandering around that the they don't want to fooling with your guard dogs with the sheep or or uh, getting out in the pen with the bulls, which might be more rambunctious.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't – we never have – you're right, of course, but I never have had a problem. I mean, I never have – again, uh, we don't have the the kindergarten class from so-and-so high school or so-and-so school here. These are people that are into farming or into food. Sure. So far, everybody's had sense enough. We have horseback riding there. I think you have son or lease if you ride a horse. But
1: now I could livestock on pasture, but have you got gardens or something that you're doing some vegetables too?
0: We do. We got about uh it's about 5 acres, but we don't we rotate a lot. So we don't have 5 acres at any given time. But we you know, we got a very talented young man that runs that. I should tell you that every business has got a manager. You know, a cattle manager, a hog manager, sheep manager, garden manager, bee manager, owner, I and mean, then all the you know red meat plant manager, poultry plant manager, storm. Everybody's got a manager. And uh, uh, I I was with that, but
1: it, yeah, well, no, that's all right. I'm, I'm just getting ready to I'll apply. I'm your podcast manager. I do it. I do it for free here for
0: hire. Hire. So, yeah, that's
1: a magic that's my favorite word <laughs> i don't know how long i'm going to do it for free but anyway it's uh, it's you do these things out because you really care about it and you, and you love it it all sounds great now i mean one more quick thing i think about going to your restaurant so does it identify i mean all the all the meats i suppose are things you raised at your restaurant right
0: yeah all the Meat and poultry, all of that comes here. No exceptions. No exceptions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, vegetables seasonally. You know, we, right. Uh, and we do, uh, we got uh, what we call the commissary. We do a lot of value additions. So we make uh, make jerky and lard and tallow, but also freeze vegetables we make pickles and jelly and all that. All my vegetables are sold, and of course the eggs are from here. All our vegetables are sold either through our store or through our restaurant or online shipment you we know, was frozen Right. We don't we don't go to any farmers markets or anything like that. Well, I
1: just like I just like so much about about what you're doing. And one other thing I like about what you're doing is you're you represent kind of more of a middle ground. You're not what I would call a, a large business. I mean you're not Smithfield or somebody like that, or JBS. But you're not small either. You're not just a, the single person that's having to do all the work. And that's that's a special thing to balance that all out, to be able to have the number of people you have identify good managers, deal with the issues, deal with the regulations, and so forth. And and that's that's challenging. And you don't hear many stories like your story will. I'm uh, I hope we hear more of them, and I'm going to become a fan. You can you can sign me up right now to join you trying to promote these in all the counties of the United States, and we'll throw in Canada, too. Why not?
0: There's a, often people will talk about scale like it's a, a, a linear. Right. Homestead, sustenance, family farm, corporate farm. But yeah. really, it's all over the board. I mean, we yeah. not—I'm not halfway between homesteading and Smithfield, right? I'm—I'm—you—we're know, on the we on the plain, and it's—you know—different. It's very different. I, I tell people, if you want to learn to homestead, this is not the best place for you to come, right? Uh, you know, I, uh, if you want to have a confinement operation. This is not the place for you to come. You know, what we are is a very different, very different animal to either one of those. And nothing wrong with we are now, now big corporate food. There's something wrong with that. I'm, I'm I rail against that. I'm, I'm opposed to it. multinational food, right. big ag, big food, big tech. You know, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. Yeah. Uh, but but the homesteaders are wonderful, and wonderful people, and I support them. This is not what I do. I'm, I'm, I'm not a homesteader.
1: Yeah, they. Uh, I hear these stories of people homesteading, and they work a lot harder than I ever cared to.
0: I think it's fine because what you will do. Uh, <clears throat> I think that it. I don't know this, but I suspect it may be hard to have a multi generational homestead. And yeah. I think that if you, if you and your partner, whatever it is, husband wife, whatever you got uh are uh, smitten with homesteading uh your, your children may not want to do that they may flee yeah sure. uh, well, they, sure. they, they might want to do it and I think it's great if they do but uh, I am pretty old and I've seen a lot of stuff I know a lot about people and uh you know it it, it uh they might uh they might not want to do that if they want to and God bless them I hope they will
1: yeah, well, and, and just something we alluded to earlier, and you look at all these people that are getting excited about what you're talking about and coming out there, an awful big share of them weren't from farms themselves. I mean, people I knew that grew up on farms uh, knew what it was like to go out at 2 o'clock in the morning on an ice storm and help a cow have a calf. Uh, and and think, you know what, that's pretty tough. I don't know. There, there may be an easier way. Um
0: you know, I just said that I just said that the children of homesteaders may not want a homestead. I mean that's yeah. statement. I'll also say that the children of big industrial commodity farmers may not want to do that either. No. You know, no. But no. I used to be I used to be that guy. Yeah. And my children would not have come back if I had done what uh, if I had continued doing what I used to do. They just wouldn't have done it. They wouldn't want to be there. Uh, I changed what I did, not to draw them back. I did it because I wanted to. But it created an, an environment that they wanted to come back to, even though they didn't intend to. Both, all my children, both my daughters that are here, went to college, graduated, worked somewhere else for a while, and then chose to come back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And, in fact, I've talked to people that uh, – that- that did try to stay in that larger commodity program and that and some of them had a tough time and one in back in the midwest that I talked to that they they tried to bring a grandson back into their hog operation and they had to figure out how they spent a million dollars to make it enough bigger for for that grandson to get started again because they had to put up a facility and they had a contract with one of the major packers and they were going to be in an integrated program and boy, it's a tough way to go.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I love what you're doing and people that uh, are like me and want to get online and order uh, some Guinea or whatever. Uh, where do they find you? Where
0: you know I don't know too much about Instagram and Facebook and stuff, but it's all White Oak Pastures. And uh, the, the order for, to order for our website is whiteoakpastures.com. dot com. And uh, so they, they can... got a, they got a real good following with the Instagram and social media. We got my daughter uh, runs that, and she got people that that you know help her with it, and that's what they do.
1: Well, you know, in fact, well, the reason I was chasing you down to do this podcast with you is I had some of my listeners said, "You need you talk to to Will sometime," mm-hmm. and so I've got people listening to me that were suggesting I talk to you, and somebody's hearing us now that are going to. That maybe haven't kept up with you yet and maybe become customers if or become fans and want to learn more about how they can do what you're doing wherever it is they are. And I hope I hope that helps.
0: Well we need uh, we need customers. I mean that's that you know we gotta we gotta monetize what we produce and that requires customers and sadly I can't do it in my local market. It's too uh, sparsely populated and too impoverished and, and and honestly just not that you know, not that sophisticated you know that you know just don't understand why you would why you would pay ten dollars for a hamburger if you can go to mcdonald's and get it for five kind of thing. well
1: i'll tell you i'll tell you what I'll, I'll trade you sometime. you come out here and i'll show you around the sacramento area and 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 i Come out to your neck of the woods. I get anywhere close. I'll give you a call and see if I can come by because I'd like to see it firsthand, visit with you firsthand. And well,
0: uh, it, it, you'll certainly welcome me anytime. But if it's, if it's prerequisite, me coming to Sacramento, I, I may not get to see you. It.
1: <laughs> okay. It's not a prerequisite. I take, I take it off right now. So, uh, Will <laughs> so Harris.
0: Uh, hey, hey, hey uh, there's a, I'm going to give a plug in for somebody else. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know exactly where she is, but there's a a great grass-fed beef producer out there on the West Coast called Richard's Grass-Fed Beef. Okay. Uh, Richards, uh, Carrie Richards is the owner. She's, she's got a great program, does a fine job. I always try to, I always try to get a plug for other people near where I'm I, talking. It's, it's I'll, from
1: chase, I'll chase her down.
0: Yeah, we want to mention
1: was, Savory too, again, that you're involved with Savory. So
0: savory uh, Institute is uh, a nonprofit based in Boulder, Colorado, and their mission is to uh, teach and practice holistic range and pasture management. And uh, they're, they're great people too. So, people, yeah, I'll, tell you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one more thing. Uh, okay. So we sold, I never thought I'd be saying this to anybody, but we sold the book rights to White Oak Pastures to Random House Viking Penguin, three names, about a little over a year ago.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And they hired a young lady to write a book about White Oak Pastures, and she did. It'll be released in September, this, this September, mm-hmm. called A Bold Return to Giving a Down. <laughs> Are you going
1: to read it too?
0: I don't read too good. Not really no, hard. you talk good. Yeah, but I'm I'm, I'm I, I I I follow my thing and move my lips when I'm reading. Yeah, I, I, went, I, went, I went I went to the University of Georgia. We didn't do much reading. We colored and wrestled and played football.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like listening to them, so I'll look for that. So we, you've got you've got a book. You've got you got so much going on. Well. Uh, congratulations you you've done well you're doing well for your family the community and people that are looking for positive stories and i'm glad you shared your positive story with us today on farm to table talk so so my best to you and i'm I'm looking forward to trying some of that guinea now but um but thanks again and keep up the good work
0: thank you for having me i really enjoyed talking to you
1: You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson.